This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Game Generation. Unlock the power of play, learn and connect at www.gamegeneration.org. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Video games have become a catalyst for nonprofit fundraising, a refuge for disabled communities, platforms for protests, and forums for global conflict resolution. They connect the world of politics, technology, entertainment, and sports in profound and unique ways. And competitive gaming has become a billion dollar industry. Leagues and professional esports teams across the world draw millions of fans and big sponsor dollars. On February 6th, The Washington Post sat down with video game experts, creators, and players to explore this rapidly evolving world. For people with disabilities, moving around the built environment around them can be difficult or impossible. Video games can offer an alternate reality with life-altering effects. In this segment, Able Gamer COO Steve Spahn talks about how to promote accessibility in the video game industry and shares how his own experience has informed his life's work. Let's listen. All right. Hello again, everyone. I'm Gene Park again with The Washington Post. Uh, good to see you again. And uh, I am joined here uh, by gamer, advocate, and chief operations officer of Able Gamers Charity, Stephen Spong. Uh, we're going to talk about how he makes video games more accessible, uh, the, the mission of Able Gamers, mm -hmm. and how controller technology has evolved, as well as your own personal journey. Uh, before we get started, I again want to remind you that you can tweet questions for Steve. Uh, using the hashtag postlive, hashtag postlive, and I'll get to a couple later uh, in our discussion. Uh, but Steve, uh, tell us about your story. How did you first get into gaming? Tell us about your gaming journey. Uh, you know, gaming for me was really a way of life. It is something that is very cliche in our industry, but uh, for me it really was. You know, when I was in high school, uh, you know, my friends were beginning to go to clubs and they were beginning to go to these social functions that I couldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, our local club in Pittsburgh had one stair just outside of it that what could have been a moat to the castle for me, it was all the same, you know, I mm -hmm. couldn't participate. So, but I could take my Nintendo to my buddy's garage and we could go play, you know, games and NES games and hang out uh, with all of our people. And really that just ramped up from there when it was a matter of going to online worlds like Ultima Online where you could meet people for the first time and really form friendships and bonds. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the online community that, that really helped you kind of reach out with folks, right? Yeah, you know, the great thing about online video gaming is just the, the social exposure you get. If you have a mind that's willing and a body that's unable, you know, video games can really open an, a window to an otherwise inaccessible world. Yeah. We have these situations where people can't get out into just not a society as at large. What we don't talk about a lot in video gaming and really just the general media is loneliness and how it's an epidemic, how everyone experiences loneliness from now and again. And gaming can stop that. You know, you can form these bonds with people that are amazing. Uh, you know, we were just joking about it in the green room when, you know, it's not about distance, it's about closeness. You, know, you and I can be a country apart, but we can still be extremely close and form a friendship that'll last for decades by playing together in virtual worlds. Well, I mean, that's amazing because like so much of us back there in the green room, we've all known of each other. Yeah. You know, I've been following you for a long time. You've been following my friend John back there. John, what's up? And then like, so, but we've never really, really hung out, but we, it feels like we're, 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 we know each other pretty well, right? Yeah. yeah, you just click right into it. You know, uh, when you think about when we were young, you know, it was 
don't talk to strangers on the internet. And now yeah. it's, you know, some of your best friends can be from the internet. And I don't see a difference between internet friendships and real friendships because to me, they're real. Yeah, and it doesn't freak you out when you meet someone from online, right? Yeah, the only thing that freaks me out is whenever it's like, oh, oh you're, you're so-and-so at Twitter. Okay, got you. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, did you become to, how did you come to join the leadership at, at Able Gamers? Tell me about how you got involved with them. Well, where did that start? Yeah, well, that was uh, an amazing story where, so <laughs> an amazing gentleman named Mark Barlay started Able Gamers, founded 15 years ago, and Right after the inception of Able Gamers, uh, he had had a blog on, was just a website with a blog, and it was an article up there about how you can't play World of Warcraft with only one hand. And I was 25, and I knew everything, and I was like, ha-ha, Mark Varley, I got you now. And I sent off a message, ha, you suck. I know that you can do this. And Fortunately for me, he didn't turn me away as the arrogant little 20-year-old that I was. He said, all right, Steve, you think you can do better writing? So I wrote it, and I wrote how you can play with just one hand, uh, whether you're putting two hands together on a mouse like I do, or whether you only have one hand that you can game with uh, on the mouse, and you can play. And it got some traction. Somebody actually reached out to me and said, thank you. I didn't know you could do that. Now I can play World of Warcraft. So then I went, oh, OK, this is cool. So then I wrote another one and another one. And people kept coming to me saying, hey, you know, I didn't know this was possible. And you changed my life. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute. So I came to Able Gamers because I wanted to find a way that I could game. But then I found out what felt even better was making other people be able to game. That's a great transition into what the work that you and Able Gamers have done with Microsoft and Microsoft Xbox. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a device called the Adaptive Controller. Amazing device, I've never used it, but uh, it's gotten so much praise, it's gotten awards uh, uh, for, for what it's done. Uh, can you, uh, it's, it's helped widen the spectrum of who can play. Uh, can you talk, talk to us about the collaboration? Uh, how were you involved? What did they ask you? What were, the, what were some of the things that their designers had to keep in mind? Yeah, you know, it was amazing working with Microsoft and Xbox on this controller. So Able Gamers had come up with a controller called an Adroit Switchblade, and it essentially did exactly what the XAC did, but it was about $400, which is a hefty price tag. Not exactly and accessible. No, not accessible to most of us, let alone if you have a disability. Yeah. Right. So what Xbox was able to do was to take that idea, take that concept of being able to put switches all around your body. Just think about the Staples Easy Button, right? You can't hold a controller, but I can put a bunch of buttons around you and you can play them like a keyboard, then you can play on an Xbox, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can do that for 100 bucks or a little bit more, then that's grandma money. That is uh, friend money. They can give you uh, an Xbox controller for Christmas. Uh -huh. So uh, what was amazing about that was working with them in secrecy for three and a half years. I can't believe we all kept it a secret. And it's mostly because there were golden robots in my closet that were going to jump out and beat me if I talked about it. Um, so, 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 Jeff Bezos, get on that. No. Yeah, so. <laughs> kidding, kidding. <laughs> So, uh, it, but it was amazing because we got to consult very early with it and help them from the ground up. And my favorite story to tell, which I'll probably be visited by a golden robot later tonight, um, it, is uh, they couldn't show us the original prototype because the lawyers didn't want us to see it, even though we were ground level consultants. So they drew it on a piece of paper and they're like, here's what it's going to look like. And then we got to tell them sort of, you know, where our pain points were and, you know, what they could do better than, you know, we could working. And again, we built these with a company called Evil Controllers one at a time, literally. 
and that was as cheap as we could make them was $395. So, you know, being able to make them was uh, a dream come true because we got to help a lot of people. What were some of the pain points? And there was a discussion uh, backstage where you were talking about easy mode, right? And you don't, you, like, um, you know, easy mode in video games is obviously it helps players uh, right. go, get through. Yeah. But you were talking about the difference between yeah. having an easy mode and having a game that's accessible to you. Right. Well, you know, there's an amazing research team at Able Gamers who does all of these uh, high-end studies on what it's like to be a gamer. And, you know, what we're finding is that the levels of challenge for everybody are different depending on what you have available to you. So if you have ability to move all of your hands together and I have the ability to only use the mouse, then for you and I to then play the game at the same level, we need different accessibility options, right? So uh, you know, what's, what's really been great about that argument, although it was feisty and there's lots of people on the internet who yelled at me about it, uh, it really came down to we don't need easy modes in video games. We need equality modes. We need a mode where if you're very super great at Dark Souls and you can play it without any options, fantastic. But maybe I want to have a good time with it too. And maybe a couple accessibility options would be just enough to put us on the same level and with that level playing field, we can enjoy the game at the same level. Mm -hmm. um, companies like Microsoft, Naughty Dog, among others, have had a bigger push for accessibility in games mm -hmm. uh, in the last few years. Uh, some companies like Nintendo have, have had a harder time mm -hmm. uh, implementing this. Uh, what is holding some, some of the bigger companies back? Um, is, it a, is, it a, is it a mentality issue? Is it financial? What's your take on that? Yeah, Nintendo's a very small, poor company. I don't think they can afford <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to work on accessibility. It's really sad. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, you know, what's amazing about uh, Nintendo was they were actually the first. They built a controller that someone could use if all they could use was their head. Mm -hmm. And it looked sort of like a harness around your neck. Mm -hmm. And then they got away from it, and they never came back. And we don't know why they don't reach out to able gamers. They don't reach out to advocates like me. Um, but we hope that with time, they'll see that Microsoft, Xbox, and PlayStation, and even now coming up, Google are working on accessibility, and that they should join the party and let people with disabilities enjoy the virtual worlds we all love. Mm -hmm. Which is incredible, because Nintendo is known so much for the, the whole yeah. accessibility thing. Right. It's just not for disabled gamers. No, and, and it's, it's sad because we just actually launched uh, a, con a controller adapter called the Freedom Wing. Mm -hmm. And the Freedom Wing is a really cool adaption where I can plug my wheelchair that you see me sitting on the stage with today into an Xbox, and I can play on an Xbox with this wheelchair. And that was not something that was even possible a week ago. Well, I mean, I had the adapter for a little while, so I could, but nobody else could. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's great. Technology's coming along, and I hope that all the juggernauts in the industry will get on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed the industry becoming more open to the subject? I guess, I guess you have, right? Uh, especially oh. with, with Microsoft kind of going all in on this. Yeah, uh, I mean, they had a Super Bowl commercial about the, c the controller last year, didn't they? They did. They had the Super yeah. Bowl commercial, which was great, but it's important that we not get caught up in running around the room and talking about how great one controller is when there's 46 million gamers with disabilities who need help, and they all need different adaptations. And when we're talking about these setups, they can be a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand. So it's not cheap, it's not easy, and it takes a specialized set of skill to figure out how to put it all together. And so what are some of the bigger stigmas that, that, that disabled gamers have to face? And what are, uh, in terms of 
you know, you, you said earlier that a lot of people got mad at you, um, and you're, you're, you're quite prominent on Twitter. Uh, thank so, you, yes. Yeah. Now follow me at Steven Spawn. Um, yeah, so, follow him. Uh, shameless plug. Um, so, uh, no, you know, the great thing about uh, being vocal and out there on the internet is that I have this platform. I am blessed to have people who want to follow me and listen to what I'm talking about. But that stigma that we're talking about hasn't gone away. It's not gonna go away anytime soon, uh, but we're, we're fighting it, you know? When I started streaming on Twitch, the only reason I did was because a friend of mine named Craig kept telling me how great Twitch was, and that Twitch is, you know, where it's at, man, you need to go stream, you need to go play games, and he sort of challenged me. He literally said, Steve, you're on social media, but you don't talk about your personal gaming setup. You don't talk about your own life and the personal side of it. And I say, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid people are going to make fun of me. And it, you have to open yourself up on those platforms. So even though Twitter is open, it's also where I can just not answer somebody's tweet if they make fun of my, you know, my weight or my wheelchair or whatnot. On Twitch, it's live. It's happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm lucky to say that uh, in the end, Craig was right in that it was a very welcoming place. And I have been able to forge friendships with people that on, on a massive scale, I have more friends now than I did before streaming. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that I'm necessarily the most entertaining, you know, next Dr. Lupo kind of guy. But I'm just trying to farm a small community where people can get along and feel safe. And, you know, to me, that's, that's sort of what's important. I have people come up to you and say, it means a lot to see your setup and to see how you came. Yeah. They have, and that's, that's honestly what's continuing to push me to keep streaming, you know. Uh, I put in, you know, my 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week with Able Gamers, and then I have my own advocacy that I'm trying to do, and now I'm trying to be a streamer too. And there's only so many hours in a day, no matter how many letters I write to Congress to make more. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, what I'm really, you know, out there doing is trying to be a representative. I am in a privileged position where I can tell the stories that I wish I had seen when I was that young. I have people who are 16 years old who are coming up to me and saying, you know, I didn't want to do this because people were going to make fun of me. And you talked about how you were worried about that, but you did it anyway. And now people are coming to you and respecting you. And I think I can do that too. And it sounds cheesy like a stage answer, but you can see on my streams, I talk about the same thing. I just want to have that representation out there. And I reached the point in my life where I said, I can't keep asking for representation to be on the screen outside of Professor X. I swear to goodness, at one point person mentions <laughs> Wolverine to me. Um, but uh, you know, I had to be one of those people. I had to, to show myself and be willing. So um, it's been fun, and I'm glad that we decided to do it. Yeah, and I'm glad you're out there, and I'm very happy that you're here to tell to tell our yeah. story or tell your story. So yeah. thank you so much, Stephen, for for being here. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for all, all for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.